All right. So we're live. Welcome to the Revenge of the Dreamer podcast number four. Uh, we're here back to see you guys um, to discuss some new topics over the since the last episode. A few new things have came up. Um, so we're glad to join you guys again. Um, I just did. Did you want to say something before we get started or? Hello, welcome to our podcast where I just, <coughs> sorry, where I just open up and talk about some topics, you know, with my lovely husband and yeah, I really enjoy that. All right, cool. Well, let's get into some, Did in- introduce me, let's get into some interesting topics here. Mm-hmm. So last weekend or a couple days ago we had the Golden Globes and Ryan Gosling he won the Golden Globe for best actor and he had a little passionate speech about his wife Eva Mendez Um, and I found this article here that was saying that uh, his speech wasn't cute it was sexist so this guy here Nirja Zatat um, says, despite swooning on social media for his notebook-esque outpouring, I can't help but feel that Mendez, an award-winning actor in her own right, took one for the team and provided the emotional labor needed for Gosling to further his own career. So, let's watch here what he said. You don't get to be up here without standing on the shoulders of a mountain of people, and there's just no time to thank everyone. I just would like to try and thank one person properly and say that while I was singing and dancing and uh, playing piano and having one of the best experiences I've ever had on a film, my lady was raising our daughter, pregnant with our second, and uh, trying to help her brother fight his battle with cancer. If she hadn't have taken all that on so that I could uh, have this experience, um, would surely be someone else up here other than me today so sweetheart thank you all right so that's what he said during so that was considered people got offended and well not people so most people thought his speech was really cute that was the whole speech yeah it was just a simple quick thing and basically the gist of it was him thanking his wife for being uh to be able to take care of his children at home uh, most people thought it was good. Most people didn't have any offense to it. But of course, we did have this one person who thought it was sexist. So I wanted to talk about that and get your opinion on it. Um, basically, he says here, um, while he was singing, dancing, and playing the piano for the role, she was at home holding the fort, looking after things so that we could have one of the best experiences um, he's ever had on a film. He, uh, he says, she hadn't taken all that, so I can have his experience. Surely someone else would be other uh, up here, uh, other than me today. Obviously, that was in the video. Um, so, and you know, obviously, what she was doing, she was raising um, their daughter, and you know, obviously, pregnant with the, their second child. Um, a lot of people, you know, like liked what he said on social media, but this guy says. Uh, his appreciation for the his heart part his partner may be genuine but it places into it plays into the structural inequality women face in the workplace uh least of all hollywood yes mendez has agency in the decision to put her career on the back burner for the sake of her husband's uh but why did she have to make that decision to begin with and this person complains that uh most 
uh, Hollywood is dominated by males and uh, needs to be more women in Hollywood. Um, let me see here. So basically, you know, she, she has a, a, a gripe with stay-at-home mothers. A lot of people, different people have different opinions on stay-at-home mothers. Um, but according to the Pew Research Center, the number of stay-at-home mothers in the USA has been steadily rising for the past 15 years. Um, there's often an assumption within relationships that the woman will stay home to look after children. Um, this isn't something that women are just better at and we're angels on for taking such work. Rather, women are taught to be selfless and to care and more often than not feel an obligation to do so. It is something that is expected of a woman and valorizing it perpetuates this is an ideal that women have to live up to and often make sacrifices for. Um, Gosling also said earlier that women are better and stronger than men. Putting women on a moral pedestal in this way excuses men from transgressions such as not coming home and helping with care work. Gosling's speech runs uncomfortably close to the old adage, behind every great man is a great woman. No, she's not behind you. She's standing right next to you. And maybe you should tell the audience next time that you'll be home to help out more. Hmm. So, of course, you have someone here who uh, obviously has a problem with it. What is this thing with nowadays that people don't like? They don't really like, you know, they don't agree with stay-at-home mothers. It, or they think that, you know, stay-at-home mothers is a bad thing. Why is that? Why is that the case? Because they're putting their life on hold for a period of time for the child. But, like, you know, what else? What other option do they have? They're the mother, you know? And I feel like when moms, a lot of moms, when they don't put that time off for their kid and they go back to work, they're not happy. They're miserable because someone else has to stay with their kid. So in his situation, yeah, he had to go forward with his career. He was working. And he had a kid, you know, so, I mean, that's their situation. And everyone's situation is different. You know, some but moms today's, don't do that, some do. But the point is, today you have so many people who, they bash that. They look at women who stay home, women who take care of their kids, like the traditional, per se, um, role that women place. Usually, um, that's seen as a bad thing today. You know, a lot of feminists don't agree with that or... You know, they think that it should be equal as a man. Uh, but you're saying that when women do end up doing that, they still are miserable. They still want to be home? Or what are you saying? Well, for a period of time in the child's life, like at least the first year. So um, it just depends. I mean, it depends on the mom. It depends on the father. A lot of a lot of dads are the ones to stay home and, and help with, with a kid. So... It's not always the mom, you know, it is equal, but it just depends on the situation, it depends on the careers, and it depends on the mom. Some moms, they, they don't feel miserable when they leave, and they, you know, or some moms prefer to stay at home. It just depends, you know, I don't think it should be looked at it, like, I don't think it should be looked as, like, equal when it comes to, you know, it's your kid. It's, everyone's different, I don't know, I just... I just feel like if you have the, op the option, if you can, depending on your jobs, it, it, it is, you know, better to stay at home with your kid and take care of your kid. Sure. Well, there is this article here, this, like, feminist article here that I found interesting that kind of plays into what we just watched. So 
Um, it basically says three well-meaning assumptions about women you never realized were sexist. So everything's sexist now. It's a hot topic. Um, let me see here. The first one is here is saying the idea that women are are naturally more nurturing than men. Um, a lot of people believe that women possess certain characteristics that men don't, which includes being more intuitive, better communicators, more loving and peaceful, and better parents than men. Such attributes can seem positive, but they reduce women to a stereotype many just don't fit into. They also strip men of the ability to freely express similar qualities themselves. Um, Melanie Tannenbaum explains, It seems nice enough, but how does this ideology affect the woman who wants to continue to work full-time after her, having her first child? How, it, how does it affect the man who wants to stay at home with his newborn baby? Um, and, and ideas like these force people into rigid gender roles, both in the realm of family and beyond. So, um, she says, Ultimately, making assumptions about anyone's character or abilities based on their gender is problematic in multiple ways so I feel like okay so you have this lady she's saying that reversing the roles you know you have the traditional roles of you have the traditional role of a woman staying home and taking care of their kids mm -hmm. um, and the men going out to work and they're saying that um, or she's saying rather that um, a lot well because a lot of women don't like this role they don't think they should be happening or something like that or they don't agree that it's happening so you have a lot of feminists who are they like I said they, they don't like the idea of women wanting to stay home and take care of their kids they want to reverse they want to take the man's role and go out and work and the man should be home even though that does kind of go against like hundreds and thousands of years of evolution of what we see in the animal kingdom of you know what obviously you know the roles that gender have in our lives um, they also say here, so they say, what can you do? Let go of your belief in the innate nurturing and or emotional nature of women. There are still plenty of people of all genders, feminists included, who subscribe to a woman as earth mother view. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in touch with your emotions or feel connected to your kids or body. Think about that whether you understand this as a personal choice or if you believe that such qualities are innate in all women. It, Second, she says, if you if your parent as an opposite gender couple, don't deny the father the ability to do childcare based on the belief that he will be worse at it. Don't refer to it as babysitting when the father is with the kids alone. Um, so let me see here. So yeah, um, even though you have this person that's saying that, oh, you know, we can't we can't like force women to like want to go into these roles into these like these specific like roles that they have um you knew somebody that you know when that when push came to shove they didn't they didn't like being in that role you know even though they they felt they felt compassionate and they felt you know uh they felt strongly about wanting to go back to work mm -hmm. they ultimately weren't satisfied they ultimately felt that they were betraying their maybe their motherly instinct so don't turn it was it turned? No, it wasn't. Because it, it fell. So they they weren't they weren't following their motherly instinct. What what was your experience with that? What can you say about that? I mean, I think the work is still divided. You know, because if a mother is a stay at home mother, she will um, do her part during the day, and then 
you know, she will divide that work, you know, like in the afternoon, dad comes in, he helps on the weekend, dad can stay, have a day with the baby, she can go to a spa, she can do whatever. I mean, I think the work is divided. It just depends on the relationship. It depends on the family. It depends on that dynamic because, yeah, some dads, they don't know how to nurture the baby. They don't know how to stop from crying. They don't know how to uh, do groceries or, uh, you know, load the dishwasher. I know people like, you know, Sandra was mentioning that it's like, yeah, now he, her husband had to help out, but he didn't know how to do anything. Like, it was her first time seeing him load the dishwasher, you know? So it just depends on the family. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think that, you know, there are traditional roles for a reason. Like, we follow these roles for a long time, and you don't have to fit into it. You know, society, you shouldn't have society telling you to do one thing. You know, if you feel inclined to do something, you can do it. And if you're not happy about it, you can change it. Um, I just think that the traditional, the traditional roles you know, do get a bad rap. And if someone wants to follow those traditional roles, they shouldn't feel ashamed or they shouldn't feel down about it, you know? Um, okay, so moving on to this next topic. So as you know, there was the Fort Lauderdale uh, shooting in the airport. You know, about five people died, nine people were injured. Uh, might have been more than that, but ultimately it was a very uh, sad tragedy. Anytime something like this happens, um, the question of guns and the question of gun control or what can we do, how do you know, in America, it's a very hotly debated topic. So I found this article, you know, basically everybody asks when this happens is how do we prevent this? So I wanted to read this article and maybe see what can we do to, to maybe fix it uh, or have some ideas at least. It's saying that psychiatrists can't predict mass shootings, meanwhile, let the public defend itself. Um, in the Fort Lauderdale incident, the experts had failed to pick up on the shooter's warning signs. Um, pouring money into mental health care won't stop public shootings. Unfortunately, psychiatry is far from a perfect science. Uh, the person who did the shootings, Esteban Santiago Ruiz, killed five people, wounded eight at the Fort Lauderdale International Airport. Um, despite, despite extensive psychological evaluations, many psychiatrists had, blamed, had failed to identify Santiago as a danger to others. Uh, one of Santiago's brothers blames the government. Um, in November 2016, local police or, uh, escorted Santiago to a psych psychiatric hospital. Relatives say that after being released, he received further psychological treatment at his home in Alaska. Um, shouldn't the experts have picked up on the warning signs? Identifying someone as mentally ill is a far cry from deciding that the person poses a danger. Psychiatrists themselves have a poor record of knowing who will become violent, but psychiatrists know that they can't predict the future. Look at the inability of psychiatrists to identify who will turn out to be a mass public shooter. It's very common for mass shooters to be seeing psychiatrists before their attacks. This includes Elliot Rogers, Adam Lanza, you know, all the, all the major mass shootings we've had in history. Uh, Roger had been receiving top quality counseling for years. One of his psychiatrists, Charles Sophie, a, a nationally renowned and medical director for the LA County Department of Children and Family Services. Um, 
The army psychiatrist who saw Lopez found no sign of violence either to himself or to others, uh, while home psychiatrists warned University of Colorado officials about his patient's violent fantasies. She rejected the idea that the threat was sufficiently serious for him to be taken into custody. So we have all these cases of different mass shooters who were most of them seeing psychiatrists. Some of them had signs of violent tendencies, violent fantasies. Some of them didn't. Um, basically, it's kind of hard to really pinpoint that. You know, it's very easy for someone to be considered mentally ill. And with the Second Amendment and with in this country, how do we deem someone ment if we deem someone mentally ill? Does that cause a concern of taking their guns away from them? Um, these killers didn't lack mental health care, basically, because every time something like this happens, you know, everyone says, oh, this is a mental health issue. What are we going to do? Well, I got to get a better mental health. Uh, you know, we got to improve our mental health care, even though most of these mass shooters were already seeing psychiatrists and having some mental health care. 60% uh, of mass public shootings during the Obama presidency, the killers had been receiving professional mental health treatment. Even good psychiatrists failed to identify real threats. Psychiatrists have every incentive to get the diagnosis right. Besides their own professional pride and desire to help, they are legally obligated to inform authorities of cases that they believe represent threats. Um, let me see here. It's hard to predict mass public shootings, which are extremely rare events. What seem like obvious telltale signs in retrospect are often not so obvious before the attack. For example, schizophrenia alone can be found in roughly 1.6 million people nationwide. From 2009 through 2015, mentally ill individuals were responsible for 15 out of 25 mass public shootings. Even if all 15 individuals had schizophrenia, this comes to one, public, one mass public shooting for every 100,000 schizophrenics. To stop one person who was going to do something terrible, you could have to have confined thousands of people who seem dangerous. Are we going to disarm all mentally ill people, even though they themselves are at increased risk of violent crime? Um, one woman uh, saw her husband killed in front of her by her stalker. She was very depressed, but did not seek mental help for fear that she would be denied, denied the right to own a gun, which she needed to protect herself from stalkers. There are no easy answers or inexpensive solutions. If someone poses a serious danger to others, the only solution may be to lock him or to lock him up or to provide outpatient caregivers. When someone really poses a danger to others, simply saying that he can't legally buy a gun isn't much of a guarantee that he will be prevented from getting one. He should be committed involuntarily if necessary to a mental health care facility. But if we can't identify those who are danger to others, let the law-abiding uh, uh, citizens defend themselves. Florida is only one of six states with such a ban on carrying guns in unsecured areas of airports. No one wants a dangerous person to have a weapon, but our mental health system can't be the last line of defense. Too many mistakes are made in the treatment of the mentally ill, and innocent people must be able to defend themselves. So, yeah, I mean, basically, are, are we so many people it's very easy for you to be considered mentally ill so many you know approximately 1.6 million people 
uh, suffer from schizophrenia in the United States. Mm -hmm. Anyone who suffers from schizophrenia or depression or mental health issues, are we supposed to deny them the right to a gun? Because, you know, one day they could commit a mass murder or a mass shooting somewhere. That's the question, you know? Mm, never thought about it that way. Yeah, and it's, it's a very hard debate. Unfortunately, this is not a simple black and white issue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people, they don't know what to think. They don't know how to, uh, you know, really judge, you know, how, how, do you, how do you really prevent this? I don't really think something like this could be prevented, unfortunately. You know, we have the right to carry guns to defend ourselves. Um, you know, we have the right to defend ourselves. And like I said, anyone who's mentally ill, we can't deny them the right to have a gun. You know, this is the country of the Second Amendment. There's, you know, so many things. What do you think? I never thought about it that way because I just thought if you're mentally ill, you shouldn't own a gun, you know? But mentally ill, that term, like I said, it's such a vague term. Um, what is considered, you know, mentally ill? I mean, suicidal thoughts. Um, because sometimes it, I heard it goes back and forth. You're either, you know, thinking about hurting yourself or hurting someone else. You know, so if someone, I mean, you know, if someone is, you know, thinking about hurting other people, then they shouldn't own a gun, because that's just setting them, you know, setting them for... Okay. Sometimes people don't let the people know. I mean, I'm sure there's countless people out there who have thoughts of hurting people, but don't act on it, you know? Mm-hmm. That too, I know. I don't know, I mean... So if we're not like we're so where what should we do then what do you think? I don't know. It, that's what I'm saying. It's it's a very it's a very trippy tricky topic. I don't know if there is an answer. I don't know if we ever will have an answer. Obviously, anytime something like this happens, you know the family and the friends of the victims they always want answers. They always want to think like, oh, how can we have prevented this? I don't know. I don't know if we could have prevented this, you know. So many people suffer from mental health issues. Uh, I don't know if, you know, the government trying to take away guns from anyone who exhibits signs of mental health mental health issues, I don't know if that's really going to help them, you know. Or I guess like criminal history. You know, if you've had history, then in that case, yes, you can, you know, restrict them from owning guns. That's how I feel. I think they already have that. If you have any sort of criminal history or anything like that, you're essentially not allowed to have it. So. And he didn't have any history of anything? He didn't have a criminal history, but he did have mental health issues. He was seeing a psychiatrist. You know, they said, you know, this happened in, you know, January this month. And back in November, he did visit a psychiatric ward in a psych psychiatric hospital. So. At that point, should have he should have he have gotten his guns taken away, probably in mm -hmm. hindsight. But, you know, looking forward as someone else who doesn't commit those crimes, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You can look back at a situation and say, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that. But I just wanted to bring this article up because it is a you know it's a weird issue. So mm -hmm. I know it's so hard. I don't know. I have no idea how we could where we could go. You know about it.
Yeah, it's a very hot topic. So I don't know. It's I guess it's I think it's just a conversation we're going to be having to the end of time, you know, especially in America. So, um, but moving on, I wanted to show you this video um, we saw the other day. Um, basically, this um, this guy Simon Sinek claims that millennials in the workplace. He has an opinion on that, and basically he. They, he explains why sometimes millennials struggle in the workplace and lack the mechanisms to deal with stress and consequently struggle to form deep, meaningful relationships. So I wanted to get to the point as to why he believes that and get your opinion on it. So. Apparently, this young millennial generation is unleadable, and they frustrate everyone. They're accused of being entitled and narcissistic, and some have even accused them of being lazy. I think it's an unfair label. And I think the first thing we do as great leaders is we're supposed to demonstrate empathy. And I think we've failed the millennial generation, which is we haven't demonstrated empathy, but rather have just accused them and expressed our frustrations. The funny thing is so many leaders are so frustrated by this generation that they've given up trying to lead them and now just ask them what they want. And they say bean bags and free food and flexible work hours and open work plans. And we give them all of that and still nothing changes. So I've been able to sort of boil it down to four observations. Parenting, technology, impatience, and environment. Many amongst this generation, and the millennials are defined as a group of people born around the year 1984 and add another 20 years. So many in this generation um, have been subject to what has been described as a failed parenting strategy. Many of them were raised being told that they were special and that they can have whatever they want just because they want it. Many of them got into advanced classes in schools not because they necessarily deserved it, but because their parents complained. And they may have even gotten better grades, not because they earned them, but because the teachers didn't want to deal with the parents. Um, and then they graduate, and they get a job, and instantly they discover they're not special. And instantly they discover that you can't have whatever you want just because you want it. You get nothing for coming in last, and your parents can't help you get a promotion. I've even heard stories of parents complaining that their kids didn't get a promotion. I've heard stories of parents filling out job applications. But in an instant, many in this generation have their entire self-image completely shattered immediately. And what that results in is a sh it shakes their self-confidence. And so you have a disproportionately high number of people of an entire generation growing up with lower self-esteem, lower self-confidence than previous generations. And remember also, they've grown up in an Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook world where they're exceptionally good at filtering, presenting themselves as they want to be seen, curating their lives even. In other words, they're very good at displaying how they want to be seen. So they sound tough, and they sound confident, and they say things like, ask us, we know, where the reality is they don't know, they're incredibly uncertain, they're incredibly unsure, and they don't want anybody to know. Now, we know when we engage with cell phones or with social media, we get a hit of a chemical called dopamine. Dopamine is the same chemical that makes us feel good when we find the thing we're looking for. Or when you hit the goal, yes, or win the game, did it, right? 
that chemical is released when our phones go bing, buzz, flash, or beep. It's why when we're feeling a little bit down or feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves, we send out 10 texts to 10 friends. Hi, 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 hi. Hoping to get a response because it actually makes us feel good. Now, dopamine is the same chemical released in alcohol, nicotine, and gambling. And almost all addictions are dopamine-based addictions. Now, we have age restrictions on alcohol, cigarettes, and gambling because we know that a young developing mind is not yet strong enough to deal with the addictive qualities of dopamine. So we restrict children from engaging in these things. But we have no such age restrictions on social media or mobile phones. This is very dangerous. Um, when we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. That's all we need, right? And as we go through adolescence, we start to make this transition where we now crave the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us, and allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the wider tribe, right? It's a time of high anxiety and high stress, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and the numbing effects of dopamine that helps them cope with the stress of adolescence. That connection becomes hardwired. And so for the rest of their lives, when they suffer or any kind of extreme stress, social stress, career stress, they won't turn to a person, they'll turn to the bottle. Now, as I said before, social media and mobile phones also release dopamine, and we have no age restrictions on this open access. It's the equivalent of throwing open the liquor cabinet and telling our teenagers, try the vodka to help you get through your teenage years. And that's what's happening, unfettered access to a highly, highly addictive device. Right? And like all addiction, in time you waste time, waste resources, and destroy relationships. In other words, there's an entire generation not only growing up with an addiction, but growing up with a lack of coping mechanisms. They haven't learned and aren't learning the social interactions that we need to learn to deal with stress in our later life. So what happens later on in their lives when they suffer stress, they're not turning to each other, they're not turning to people, they're turning to devices, and they're turning to social media. And some, for some, their entire self-worth comes from how many followers they have, how many likes they get. It can be devastating if somebody unfollows them, right? And any kind of work stress, we're not, they're not going to people. I've talked to lots and lots and lots of, of millennials, and they will admit to me that they struggle to form deep, meaningful relationships. They will freely admit that they wouldn't be surprised if their friends canceled on them because they got better plans somewhere else. And when that happens, there's no sense of how to deal with that stress. And so you have an insecure generation that doesn't have the coping mechanisms how to deal with the stress. We're starting to see increase in suicide rates. We're starting to see increase in, in drug addiction and depression, even mass homicide. In the United States, with over 120 school shootings in the past decade, something like 70% of them were perpetrated by kids born after the year 1980. I just wanted to point out too that the whole time he was talking there was a dude like on his phone in the front row which is kind of ironic so mm -hmm. <laughs> but I wanted to I wanted to focus on what he's talking about technology I feel like technology technology is I guess it's kind of been like a gift and a curse mm -hmm. for today's society and kids growing up because we you know we're you know in our early 20s we remember a time before technology but you have brothers and sisters maybe half our age who 
they don't remember a time before technology. They're growing up with social media. They're growing up with smartphones. They're growing up with this instant communication constantly. So it's pretty interesting what he's saying, how the same chemical responses that, you know, people have from addictions, such as alcohol and cigarettes and, you know, these vices that people have, the same chemical reactions people have from those, um, smartphones and technology is giving that same chemical reaction. And that's really affecting our kids today. And sometimes, yeah, they don't know how to build relationships. They don't know how to communicate. You know, you maybe sometimes you walk into, you know, you walk into a, a restaurant or you walk into a coffee shop. Everybody's on their phones. Mm -hmm. No one is really talking with each other, mm -hmm. you know. So I feel like it's kind of dumbed down our society. And because of that, um, people don't know how to form meaningful relationships, you know. Mm -hmm. You're right. What do you think, Imam? And what he was saying, too, about how parents, like, ask for promotions and parents do this and this for their kids. Like, I've actually had a friend in, in school. I remember her uh, mom, you know, applied for her, wrote her um, her application, her essay. You know, how you have to write an essay mm -hmm. for your application for college. Her mom did all that for her. So, it's exactly what he's saying. Yeah, you have parents who they want a better life for their children they don't know how they to. they want it more than their own children yeah well it, part of the kid part of the child earning that like you have to earn those things and those kids aren't earning those things because mm -hmm. the parents are doing it for them you know the parents unfortunately and they give they give what the kids want they, they give them those things instead of maybe teaching them how to earn mm -hmm. those things yeah. You know, it's like, you know, maybe children who are spoiled, you know, mm -hmm. children who are, you know, they're too spoiled, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that's very interesting. Maybe that's why, you know, people always shit on mon millennials. People always talk bad about millennials, how they're spoiled, how they're entitled, how they're this, how they're that. And yeah, maybe it's, it's, it's due to parenting, due to technology. And I think technology is one of the biggest ones because never at a time technology is advancing so crazy. Like just 20 years ago, just just 20 years ago, there was no technology. There was no such thing as the Internet. There was no such thing as these things that we have. Like, you know, 20 years ago, 1997, we had the Internet, but it was taboo to use the Internet. It was you know, kind of like an underground thing, you know, people weren't using it as much as people use it now. Mm -hmm. What the internet has now is completely different than what it is today. If you were to go back 20 years ago and think, you know, why, how do people see in the internet and technology from back then? Like if you, if you can go back 20 years ago, you would have no comprehension of what we have today, the things that we have today, even 10 years ago, you would have no comprehension of smartphones and Facebook and Snapchat. Like if we were to get explained those things during those times, our heads wouldn't even be able to like wrap around those things, you know? Yeah. So I feel like it's had a, a weird effect on our society, weird effect on our children. And it does come down to parenting. It does come down to, you know, parents really knowing how to limit children with that because you have kids now who are literally five, six years old on smartphones and just having access to everything, having access to the, all this information. You know, I think of the internet um, as an ocean 
of information as an ocean not just of information of just it's, it's like a world it's like a it's like going into getting in like a spaceship and going into space and just exploring so many things it's mm -hmm. like you know you sit at this computer and it's just like a window into like so many things that we don't even that 20 years ago 10 years ago we couldn't even imagine what it was and it's what it's become today is kind of scary mm -hmm. so i think it's a, an important topic for people to maybe you know bring up and really think about because or else our you know it's really going to affect our kids it's really going to affect our future it's going to affect our children mm -hmm. so um let me see here So, wanted to talk about this new issue that uh, National Geographic came out with. And it's basically talking about transgenderism. And they're basically saying uh, National Geographic celebrates transgender kids on their January cover. So, it basically, it features a whole bunch of different uh, transgender kids. Um, magazine celebrates, trans celebrates transgenderism by putting a nine-year-old feminine boy on the January cover of the magazine. So, let me see here. Susan Goldberg, who was, you know, basically controlling this. The story of, she says, the story of gender plays out all around us more and more. Celebrities are shining a spotlight on the subject, but more quietly, our children, parents, teachers, medical professionals, and officials every day confront an array of issues with gender at the center um, everywhere we looked in the U.S. and around the globe, individuals and organizations are fighting to redefine traditional gender roles, whether it is girls and war-torn Sierra Leone, rejecting the cultural norm of feminine genital mutilation in child marriage, men in Sweden making use of extended paternal leave after having a child, or people who reject binary boy-girl labels and find their true identity elsewhere on a gender spectrum. Goldberg adds that she applauds the bravery of transgender individuals who have revealed the brutal discrimination and ostracism they face. So, the magazine touts the documentary titled Gender Revolution, A Journey with Katie Couric. Now that we know XX and XY and blue and pink don't tell the full story, it is time to write a new chapter to ensure that we all can thrive in this world no matter what our gender or decision to not identify a, as a gender. Um, let me see here. However, the American College of Pediatricians showed that gender ideology is harmful to children and that transgender children are psychologically confused and at risk for mental health disorders. The college states, no one is born with a gender. Everyone is born with a biological sex. Gender, which is an awareness and sense of oneself as male or female, is a sociological and psychological concept, not an objective biological one. A person's belief that he or she is something they are not is at best a sign of confused thinking. When an, other, when an otherwise healthy biological boy believes he is a girl, or an otherwise healthy biological girl believes she is a boy, an objective psychological problem exists that lies in the mind, not the body, and it should be treated as such. These children suffer from gender dysphoria, uh, which is formally listed as gender identity disorder. 
It's recognized as a mental disorder in the most recent edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychi Psychiatric Association. According to the D DSMV, which is the organization I just read off, as many as 98% of gender-confused boys and 88% of gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological sex after naturally passing through puberty, conditioning children into believing that a lifetime of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex is normal and healthful is child abuse. The youth transcritical professionals, um, which are left-leaning, open-minded, and pro-gray rights, say it is risky to affirm young people who claim to be transgender and provide them with hormonal and surgical treatments to change their bodies. Our concern is with medical transition for children and youth. We feel that unnecessary surgeries or hormonal treatments which have not been proven safe in the long term represent significant risks for young people. So I think it's true, you know, I think transgender has been a hot topic you know, in the past couple of years, you know, I feel like every year it's getting, you know, we're getting a different, different things that are happening, you know, where you had Target or you have these trans, you have Target and other places are now having, you know, no gender bathrooms and anyone of any gender can go in the bathrooms. It's something that's kind of impeding in our society. And you also have kids now who maybe, you know, Kids, I feel like kids sometimes are confused. Kids, they're confused as 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 as, as kids. You know, I've known uh, girls who were tomboys and they grew up as tomboys, and they liked even though they were girls, they liked having their hair short. They liked playing with other boys. They played with boys' toys, um, dressed with boys' clothes, and it goes the other way too. You have very feminine boys who play with girls' toys, hang out with girls. Um, and are very feminine, I don't necessarily think that that's always a case of transgenderism because people who are actually, you know, legit transgender who want to transition later in life, um, the percentage of that is so low. And there's a danger where you have families and moms and dads who see these kids who are wanting to become who are this you know who are boys playing with girls toys and girls playing with boys toys and exhibiting opposite traits of their specific gender and you have these parents giving their kids hormones literally injecting hormones at the doctors of the opposite of the opposite sex so if it's a boy that feels like a girl they're injecting estrogen in those kids um, and if it's a girl who feels like a boy they're ingesting they're injecting testosterone hormonal therapy that's what they call it and I think it's a very dangerous thing and something that is being promoted is what a lot of families are doing today and it's very dangerous for those kids mm -hmm. you have these um, you have these professionals and you have these groups who study these things and say that you know what it's it's kind of a phase you have these you know usually when you have those kids sometimes they grow up and they're confused they're playing you know they're playing with uh, toys of the opposite sex they're playing with, to they're hanging out with the opposite sex and they feel like they're the opposite sex, that usually goes away after, um, after they go through puberty. I think that if anyone is growing up, you know, if, if, some, if, if a girl wants to act like a boy and thinks she's a boy, 
let her think that. Why do we have to introduce hormones? You know, eventually that kid, whether they, if they still believe, if they grow into puberty and they get to 18 years old and they still feel like they're the opposite sex, then cool, you're a transgender. If you want to take hormones, if you want to do this, go ahead and do that. I feel like, you know, parents who are maybe enforcing these things in their kids, you know, because, you know, they don't want their kids to be gay or even think that their kids are gay. They're thinking, oh, no, my kid is was born the wrong, wrong gender. And they're introducing hormone therapy. It's not, it's not safe for the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think? What kind of long-term effects does it have? Let me see here. Let me see. I don't know if they're saying long-term effects, but let me finish reading this. It says, there's evidence that vulnerable young people are being actively recruited and coached on such sites to believe that they are trans. Despite such potential mental health problems associated with gender confusion, children who claim to be the opposite sex are no longer legally permitted to see a therapist to get stabilizing conversions therapy in some states. Professionals see such state prohibitions as dangerous since they may block the process of critical thinking and evaluation of the young person regarding the reasons why he or she desires to become a transgender member of the opposite sex. While the sentiment behind this legislation is laudable in some cases, it is being interpreted to mean that therapists cannot explore gender identity with a youth who is professioned to be trans. This would mean that we can't ask why, we can't explore underlying mental health issues, we can't consider the symbolic nature of the gender dysphoria, and we can't look at possible confounding issues such as social media use or social contagion. Gay advocacy groups, though, are determined to enforce their claims that gender is fluid, that people are free to choose their lifestyle independent of their biology, and that society should insist that there's no, really no such thing as a gender binary. And government should deny that heterosexual boys and girls and heterosexual men and women are the civic norm. So the gay ad advocacy group, the Human Rights Campaign, tweeted out its support of National Geographic's gender-blending non-heterosexual cover. And uh, their final thing here, a study of the 2010 census showed that only one out of every 2,400 adults have changed their names to the opposite sex. So I don't know. I don't know what the long-term effects are, but basically when you're a kid, your, your brain is developing so much. Your brain is, is basically like a soft clay and it's being developed and... I feel like for anyone, for any doctor or for any parent to believe that they want to, you know, give hormone therapy to their kids, I think is very dangerous. You don't know if that kid later on doesn't want to be that way or maybe is a phase or maybe it's, you know, some type of mental health issue. Um, you know, I've, and if I even bring that up, if, if people even say it's a mental health issue, oh, you're a bigot, you're not accepting, you're not progressive. Um, well, you have people who are studied, and yes, there's a lot of mental, mental health issues behind it. There's a lot of transgender people. You know, transgender people have the highest rate of suicide, even the ones that do the surgery, even the ones that do hormone therapy, still have 
the highest rate of suicide. And also I've heard that people who do go through th with the surgery sometimes have regret later on. So I feel like people who do feel like they're transgender, they do go through a lot of mental health issues, a lot of confusion, and maybe parents wanting to enforce that isn't always the norm. You, now you have stores like Target, you have places that are getting rid of gender and basically teaching kids that gender is like a seesaw and you can kind of just choose when you want to be. You have people who are literally, um, you know, non-binary who don't believe in gender and one day they might feel more like a girl and the other day they might feel like more like a boy. And I feel like teaching that to young kids, I, I don't know if that's going to have a positive effect on our society. And you have, you know, you have young people, you know, you have the National Geographic who is there. It basically, you see right there at the front of their cover, it's called the Gender Revolution. Um, so it's, it's, I've never really seen this before growing up. I feel like people need to be, yes, people need to be open minded, but you have to be very careful when you're trying to change people's and kids', you know, gender or what they feel like, you know. It's a very a dangerous thing, mm -hmm. especially since, like I said, a lot of transgender people have the highest suicide rate, and it's not because society is making fun of them or doing something to them. It's often because those kids are very confused. They don't know what they are. They don't know how they fit in. Um, I don't think that's society's fault. I think that's just sometimes internal issues people have. Mm -hmm. People have internal issues all the time. People deal with different things all the time, you know? Yeah, like confusion, mental fog, and like, yeah, confused about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, staying on the transgender issue, there was this, uh, the first time in history, there's a gender fluid actor, uh, Kelly Mantle, makes Oscars history. Basically, she's going to be eligible for both male and female categories, which is a first for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which is, you know, the Oscars. Um, the role in question in Mantle's portrayal of transgender prostitute Ginger, um, let me see here. The producers of the film submitted Mantle, who is gender fluid, and uses masculine pronouns in both male and female categories when the paperwork for Oscar submissions required the actor be classified by gender. Let me see here. So Kelly Mantle. According to the filmmakers, the Academy granted their request and the former RuPaul's Drag Race contestant is eligible for either the supporting actor or supporting actress category. So this is kind of what I'm talking about. You have people who, you know, I'm all for adults who are transgender, who, you know, maybe they feel like a man and they want to transition to a woman. They want to be called she. That's great. Or vice versa. You have women who want to have, you know, therapy, hormone therapy. They want to transition into a man. But now you have this, like, the people are wanting to, like, be both, I guess, or, like, they're non-binary they like they don't believe in a gender one day they they dress like a woman they act like a woman but they want to be referred with male pronouns or they invent their own pronoun which doesn't have a gender you know they're inventing their own gender 
um, it's it's very weird, you know. And this is more of a evidence that this is kind of becoming the norm in society. Now you have the Oscars who are having someone who can be both male and female category, you know. Like there's another case too of, uh, you know, there's another case of, for example, this MMA fighter who was a man who couldn't really become a, a male MMA fighter and they transition into a woman and now they're competing in the women leagues but just because they say they're a woman and they feel like a woman their body is still a male's body with broad shoulders and muscles and stuff and they're literally just kicking the ass of these women it's literally a man beating up a woman you know on paper they consider themselves a woman but that person used to be a man and that kind of reminds me of this where you just have you know, you have people and you have these things where now we have people who are literally, they get to be both. They get to have a male and female category, hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I think that's not fair. That's not fair, you know? You have these transgender people who claim, oh, you know, uh, you have cis privilege. You, you know, it's a privilege that you're born a man and you feel like a man or you're born a woman and you feel like a woman. Well, what, you know, you want to talk about privilege... What privilege do you think you have where you literally can be in both categories? Usually people have one shot to win the award mm -hmm. and you're literally in both categories. Like, holy shit, you know, mm -hmm. like choose one. You know, that's my thing. Like, I don't I don't care if you're transgender. I don't care. I don't care that you're transgender. I don't care that you're you know, you transition from a man to a woman. I just why do you have to have both categories? Choose one. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I know what you're saying. While Mantle's eligibility is considered by many to be a step forward, genderqueer activist Jacob Tobia said the, in the entertainment industry needs to take a step further. The fact that the Academy forces performers to be nominated on the basis of gender is an outdated trans tra tradition that we need to do away with. While it's great that the Academy is allowing Cal Kelly Mantle to choose which category they like to be nominated, Ultimately, Kelly shouldn't have to make a choice. Oscar categories, as well as other major awards like Grammys and Emmys, should not be gender-specific. So yeah, we have these transgender activists, which are now basically introducing the concept that gender shouldn't exist anymore. We should just, it's outdated. The fact, if having boys and girls in school, having boys and girls in stores, separate categories, they believe that they should be able to remove that because gender is a social construct and i think that i don't agree with that like why it's not an outdated it's not a tradition it's it's science it's it's biology every species you know with the exception of some species which are like slugs and stuff which are asexual but pretty much every other species on earth has a male and a female and now you're saying that we we should get rid of that as humans like i don't think that has a good repercussions for our society mm -hmm. you know uh, what do you think uh, of course it doesn't you know um like you you said before like yeah obviously there are things that you know women can do men men can't do what men men can do women can't and um they're they're i don't know i feel like to to an extent there's sort of a division but there's i don't know I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's wrong. What's wrong? It just seems wrong. It's or not that. It's not that fact that I think it's wrong. Like, 
it's I, I just feel like like what are you trying to change this isn't an outdated trans, trans tradition yeah there's nothing to change it's, yeah there's nothing to change i mean it's it, you're trying to how ch- we are. yeah this is how we are there's male and female if you have some people who are confused if they're male or if they're female you know you have this very 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 small percentage of population uh, small percentage of society who believe that they're not a male or a female or they believe that there's no such thing as male and female they're kind of in between or they can choose what they are one day and they're different the other day mm-hmm. i just think that catering society to those people is not right you know we want to be inclusive we have we want to be so inclusive that oh yeah we need to get rid of this outdated tradition tradition of male and female categories i don't think that's a good thing you know? It's not. It's going to confuse children. Children are going to think it's okay to grow up and one day be like, oh, yeah, I want to be this, or I feel this, and the next day I feel something else. So. Exactly. You're going to have kids you know, growing up who, yeah, exactly what you're saying. They're not going to know. They're not going to know. They're, you're going to confuse kids even more. Mm-hmm. Those very small percentage and the rare exception of kids who are transgender, we can't, we can't center society around that. It's not feasible. You know, I know you want those kids to feel like they're normal and they're this. Well, guess what? They're not normal. That's not a normal thing, you know, and those kids have to deal with that. We can't change society and make it the norm. We can't make them the norm, you know, because that fucks up uh, other parts of society. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. yeah. Um, wrapping up here. We have this article here I found pretty interesting. Um, Lola Kirk didn't shave her armpits for the Golden Globes. I like this. So I want to get your opinion on this. Lola Kirk has no time for critics for her body choices. The star of Amazon's Mozart in the Jungle and sister of girls actress uh, Jemima Kirk. She was at the Golden Globes and chose to go unshaven for the event. So she went unshaven, there it is, she has hairy armpits. Because of the world we live in, some people evidently decided that death threats were an appropriate reaction to seeing Kirk live in her natural state. The actress, however, was nothing but graceful and classy in her response. Thanks to all you beautiful people who didn't send me death threats on the account of my awesome hairy armpits, she wrote on her Instagram. So, what do you think about that? Um, death threats. So she got death threats for having it. Yeah, she got death threats for not shaving her armpits. Why? Some people didn't agree with it, and some people don't like that. So much so that they sent death threats. You know, I th- I just think that my personal opinion is that I really do think she just kind of, she did this for attention. So you have. They, she wants to show she wants to show that she's like you know oh I'm sticking it to the man and I'm doing this but she has plucked eyebrows she has makeup she did her hair so it's like you want to do one thing but you want to not shave in the other because what message are you trying to show you know well it's not much it's not a message it's just how she you know she feels because I don't know. I just feel like she does look pretty natural with her face and her skin, you know? So maybe it's just what she's rocking. I don't know. I don't think it's for attention because it's just one of those things. It doesn't matter, you know? It's just our culture. Like, other cultures have that, you know, 
they accept that and we just don't so some people I mean she's probably testing it out to see if she feels comfortable and it's I don't know I just don't think it's a big deal oh yeah don't get me wrong I don't think it's a big deal either I just felt like I don't know I don't know if she's trying to send a message or she's trying to say something by that you know I know that you had some opinions on you know armpits and hairy armpits or whatever yeah I just tried it I did try that because I feel like you know you need to figure out why you do things you need to understand that it does take your time to do that it takes a razor razors are expensive so I feel like you know it's also about yeah it's about many things and it's also about being comfortable with yourself your natural self so um you know what I mean? You shouldn't depend on shaving. You shouldn't depend on wearing makeup or wearing a certain outfit to feel good and to be accepted. Because, you know, and this proves, this totally proves what I'm saying because she wasn't accepted. And, you know, I think it's okay. I think it's okay to be different. I think it's okay to, you know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of sad that people are sending death threats over that. I you know I, I definitely condemn. I don't condemn those actions. Uh, but yeah, I'm obviously she, I feel like she, I feel like maybe she wanted a reaction, and there you go, she got it. Mm-hmm. So, that's my personal opinion. Probably. I don't know. Um, last article. I I told you about this earlier today. Um. There's a woman here. She says, my natural weight is not set at skinny. There's a woman who binged and starved for eight years to maintain her 70 kilo frame, which is about uh, 70 kilos, probably be about 140 pounds. Says she is the happiest she's ever been after gaining seven dress sizes to become a size 24. A woman with who battled an eating disorder after becoming fixated on a need to be slim has gained seven dress sizes and is now helping others to love their bodies. Danielle Galvin from uh, North Queensland developed a childhood eating disorder after suffering years of taunts for being overweight. Aged 11, she joined a gym and started to count her calories and things quickly spiraled out of control. Oh. So yeah, this is her. She developed childhood eating disorder. All of my life, I can remember feeling a desire to be different, she says. Over the next eight years, she battled, uh, battled a constant cycle of starving herself, followed by guilt-ridden binges. She main, but maintaining her 70 kilo body took its toll on her mental health and she developed anxiety, panic attacks, and even made an attempt at taking her own life. After receiving counseling for her body issues, she slowly began to change her diet and has since gone from a size 10 to a size 24, and now helps other women to embrace their curves. She said, all my life I can remember feeling a desire to uh, be different. So, hmm. Danielle said she spent years being deeply unhappy about her body, but after being inspired to embrace her body, she is more positive than ever. I wanted my size 10 body to be thinner, and I wanted to eat less. No matter how hard I tried, I was never happy, and I felt like a failure. After years of abusing my body with food, I couldn't take it anymore. I hated myself so much. I wanted to take my own life. 
I thought that I'd rather be dead than fat. During my recovery, I stumbled across a body-positive social media account. I was amazed by these incredible women who are not only bigger in size, but completely comfortable in their own skin. Much to my surprise, they were happy. So yeah, and there's pictures of her here. She says she's happier than ever. She's now a size 24, happier than ever. She's proud of her body. She first started having negative thoughts about her body at the age of 10. Despite being an incredibly active kid, I was always bigger than everyone else. My parents called it puppy fat, but I remember seeing a photo of myself from my brother's birthday party when I was 10, being horrified by my size. Oh my God, I'm so fat, were the words I used. I was 10 years old. After that, all I wanted was to lose weight, to look like everyone else. With the help of her parents, Danielle began to overhaul her lifestyle. She said, seeing how unhappy I was, they bought me a gym membership and booked me with a personal trainer who made me write a food diary. Within a few weeks, I was losing weight when I realized cutting out certain foods like chocolate bars and cereal made me lose weight, I became hooked. It was the beginning of a very bad cycle. She realized that then my natural weight is not set at skinny. I'm a curvy woman, so I was on a mission to achieve the impossible. I started starving myself, sometimes living on just a weight loss shake in a day. Of course, being a kid, I struggled and then would binge, which always left me wrecked with guilt, so I'd starve myself again the next day. She suffered in silence. No one knew her, bottle, her battles with her body. Um, inside, the voices in her head were telling her that she was fat and unattractive, and she even aspired to be diagnosed with anorexia, which, how bad is that? All I could think about was getting into my next size down. A 10 wasn't good enough. I wanted to be an eight or even smaller. My teen years were stolen by this obsession to be thin and the feeling that I wasn't good enough because I wasn't slim enough. At 19, Danielle couldn't handle the pressure any longer and wanted to take her own life. She said, I thought it would, it would be better to die than to be fat. Luckily, my friend found me and convinced me to seek help. Two years into her recovery and after gaining weight, Danielle was still struggling. She said, because I was eating again, my weight started to go up and it made me uncomfortable. I felt fat and disgusting and I didn't know what to do. Then I stumbled across an Instagram account for someone posting positive, positive images. She scrolled through the photos of larger women who were not just accepting their curves, but loving them. These women were all happier than me. I needed some of what they were having. Now Danielle shares skimpy photos of her voluptuous body online and is overwhelmed by messages of love and support she received and that helped her embrace her fuller figure. Hmm. 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 She says everyone is so positive about her body. They celebrate it seeing as normal healthy body like mine. It really made me realize that I could stop worrying about my size and just be happy in the skin I was in. She no longer weighs herself and eats a healthy diet where she doesn't worry about counting calories. My life no longer revolves around depriving myself and instead focuses on giving it the fuel it needs to survive. 
Most days I eat salads with something like fish or chicken, and if I want something naughty like a slice of cake or chocolate bar, I'll have it. I'm class is overweight, but I feel the happiest I've ever been. Nothing could make me want to go back to the lifestyle of being slim and miserable. It's not just worth. It's not worth it. Hmm. So, what's your opinion on this? It's not worth it. So it's not worth being healthy because being overweight is not unhealthy. So I just feel like people are trying to accept it as if it's something, as if health is not important, basically. Well, they 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 they're they're wanting to change the definition of healthy. They're mm-hmm. they want to see, they want to see their figure. Like they're trying to change gender and stuff, and that's something we can't change. Well, they're wanting to see their weight and their body. They're saying like, oh, healthy at any size, and oh my God, I don't want to count calories anymore. And they say it's like. Like, what are you doing eating salads? Like, you know, I just feel like it's very dangerous. You know, you have these women who are embracing this fat acceptance movement and this body positive movement who are literally becoming overweight. They're becoming obese and they're becoming unhealthy and they're going to live shorter lives. They're going to have complications later in life just so they can feel good or feel happier, mm-hmm. you know? Just because you went through, obviously you had a very bad positive, you had a, a bad relationship with food. You said, you're, she said herself that she would just drink like a, a shake every day and not eat properly and then binge and eat a whole bunch of crap and then feel guilty and then starve herself the next day. So it's like you obviously had a bad relationship with food, you know, living that lifestyle, living like that, that wasn't the answer to you becoming happier in your body you know doing all that wasn't the answer to becoming happy you know which is just letting go oh this didn't work so just let go i want to be happy now i'm 19 years old i want to be happy you know i don't agree with that you know i just think that it's a very dangerous road that this whole body positive movement is going towards you know and that's what we're seeing more and more of you know 60 percent of women now are overweight in the u.s and it's it's just it's just growing and this, she said herself that she changed her lifestyle and she just threw it all away because she found a body positive social media account and you have all these women who are really fat and overweight and they're like oh but we're happy and we're healthy at any size it's like no you're not healthy you can call yourself healthy but no you're not healthy you know and obviously it has to do with diet you have these people who are like oh i'm not meant to be this weight human beings they're not human beings were not like made to be this way like there's no history of human beings like it's it's not normal for you to be overweight it's not normal for you to be fat you know has everything to do with our diet there's so much crap out there there's so much shit in our diets and like our foods in normal society and that's what you have to consider Mm -hmm. there are certain things that you can't eat no one should eat just because you have certain people who can't eat it and stay skinny, you know, those people who are eating it just because they're skinny doesn't mean they're healthy either. They're still going to maybe have diabetes. They're going to have some issues later on in life. Just because they're not gaining weight like you are doesn't mean that they're healthy. They're still unhealthy too. There yeah. are certain things in society that we shouldn't eat. So, you know, what's your opinion? Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I feel like all the processed foods we eat, we're not meant to eat. 
Um, so much processed foods. Yeah, so much processed foods and sugar, food coloring, just so many things that are toxic, unhealthy, will definitely make you gain weight because it's like dense, calorie dense. So, you know, you're, you don't know that you're getting all of those calories in a little meal, you know, and addictive. Like on, I feel like too, the most, uh, like something, like the most dangerous things, um, is the artificial sweeteners because that is, it's not that like people think, for example, you know, I know someone who's like, oh, I use healthy sugar. I use healthy, like, coconut brown sugar, whatever. But, yeah, but you're forgetting about the ingredients in your foods that you're eating because you could use a certain sugar in the morning in your coffee, but if you're eating, you know, processed foods and if you're eating all of these foods, it's going to have the artificial sweetener that is highly addictive. So it's going to give you those cravings. You're going to crave it. You're going to eat more. It's just so many things. I mean, that's that's how I see it. And people just don't know. People are not, they're not aware of what's going on. And other things too, like the shake. Anything that's um, um, just market, mar- like in the market as like healthy, it's not. You know, it's tricking. Tricking people to see it as something healthy when it's not. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like this person, there, there are different ways people just have different you know fucked up relationships with food Mm -hmm. food is something very people don't really think about it as something like close to you as like something so personal food you know it's something we eat every day and people don't really think about what they're eating sometimes or they want to eat certain things but they can't um i just think that with her she did she kind of gave up too easily from the sounds of it she didn't she was obviously restricting calories you know trying to you know basically restrict her calories not eat properly you know restricting what she ate every day become miserable that you know makes you miserable that makes you depressed you binge eat you go and you eat you 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 just give in and you want to eat all this stuff out of nowhere and then what happens then that means yeah you become guilty and then it's like a cycle So obviously she had a fucked up relationship with food and turning to just letting it go and being like, oh, I'm just going to eat whatever I want and do this. And, you know, I'm not really worried about that anymore. That wasn't the answer. You know, I don't think that was the answer for her. So I don't know. This is just another example of things that we talked about of the fat acceptance movement, the the body positive movement. There's this girl. She's not the only one thinking like this. She's not the only one who feels this way there's countless other girls countless other people who are doing the same thing it's like oh well you know we can be healthy at any size so we're gonna we're gonna eat what we want we're gonna do this mm-hmm. and it's very detrimental to our society you know this this woman is not gonna grow up healthy she's might you know she might have problems with her health later on she might have problems having kids later on mm-hmm. you know having you know her mental state might not be good you know I just I body positivity is not the answer to her problem she had a fucked up relationship with her food and fucked up relationship with her diet this is not the solution i don't think this is this this is the solution and unfortunately the media is promoting this more and more all the time mm-hmm. so i don't know that's my two cents hopefully 
you know, I don't, I want to continue talking about this. I want to continue, um, you know, making this a subject that I cover on the show and on the podcast because it is an important subject. This does depend on the future of our society, of our kids, of our children, of our young women in our society. And, uh, yeah, I just feel like there, there was another, there were other options embracing the body positive movement. I don't think that was the solution just because you're on social media, just because you're on Instagram and Facebook and you have people just sending you positive messages saying, Oh, you go girl, you look great. You did it. Okay. That doesn't cool. So you feel better about yourself. You, you feel good now because society accepts you. You know, now society is changing to become more accepted of these things. That doesn't mean it's healthy. That doesn't mean ultimately, you you know, you think you're going to be happy, but I don't know. Do you have any other things to say about it? I mean, I think, yeah, you think you're going to be happy, but not in the long term because you're going to die. Yeah, you're going to die. You're, you're going to, you think you're happy and you're, oh, everything's fine and you go to the doctor one day and oh you have diabetes or you have uh, high blood pressure or you have you know a heart condition or something mm-hmm. it, this our country our society most of our society's health problems in the United States does stem from diet it stems from exactly you know from what we eat so I don't know yeah. but that was it that was it for this episode um hope you guys enjoyed the show um if you're listening please make sure to follow us on soundcloud subscribe on youtube and give us a like share with your friends and uh we will see you guys next time